0: All right. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. He's alive 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 forevermore My Jesus is alive alive forevermore He's alive alive alive, alive forevermore My Jesus is alive He's alive 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 forevermore. My Jesus is alive, alive forevermore. He's alive, alive, alive forevermore. My Jesus is alive. My Jesus is alive. My Jesus is alive.
1: never good when i'm late
0: i'm <laughs> we hurrying should have went one more time i'm hurrying
1: <laughs> all right why are the nations in an uproar and the people's devising a vain thing the kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers take counsel together against the lord and against his anointed saying let us tear their fetters apart let us cast their cords from us He who sits in the heavens laughs, the Lord scoffs at them. Then he will speak to them in his anger and terrify them in his fury, saying, But as for me, I have installed my king upon Zion, my holy mountain. I will surely tell of the decree of the Lord, he said to me. You are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will surely give the nations as your inheritance, and the very ends of the earth as your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron, you shall shatter them like earthenware. Now therefore, O king, show discernment. Take warning, O judges of the earth. Worship the Lord with reverence and rejoice with trembling. Do homage to the son that he not not become angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath may soon be kindled. How blessed are all who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Lord, no matter what may befall us in this world, you have not forsaken your throne and you have not walked away from your creation. The troubles that we face are reminders of the goodness that is in you and the goodness that will be in your kingdom. Lord, I pray that we would take these reminders to heart, that the difficulties that you allow, that the troubles that you send, that we would see them as reminders that this world is not our home, that this place is not good, but that you are good, your mercy is just, and your love is everlasting. Lord, strengthen us, work in our hearts and our minds, that we turn to you in each and every day that in all that we do, we seek to honor and praise you for your work and your great and mighty self. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Blessed be the Lord God Almighty Who was and is and is to come Blessed be the Lord God
1: Who reigns
0: forevermore. Blessed be the Lord
1: God
0: Almighty. Who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Who reigns forevermore. Father in heaven, now we love you.
1: We lift
0: your name in all the earth. May your kingdom be established in our praises. As your people declare your mighty works, blessed be the Lord God Almighty. Who was and is and is to come Blessed be the Lord God Almighty Who reigns forevermore Blessed be the Lord God Almighty Who was and is and is to come Blessed be the Lord, God Almighty, who reigns forevermore. Father in heaven, now we love you.
1: We lift your name in all the
0: earth. May your kingdom be established in our praises. As your people declare your mighty work, blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was, and is, and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forever. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Blessed be the Lord God Almighty, who reigns forevermore, who reigns forevermore.
1: Not sneaking in this time. All of that, I went to my office to grab stuff, realized I was going to be late, ran back in here, and then had to go back because I left my Bible in my office. I'm not going to need that later. <sighs> All right, couple of things. We are going to try to have a quick council meeting after the service today. Get our uh, calendar and selves back on track for the rest of the year is the plan. So if you can stick around for that, thank you in advance. If you did not get it the last couple of weeks, there is still. Uh, Financial info on the table, updated through the end of May. We'll get that updated for the end of June as soon as we get it back because the month ends. Can't do it until the month ends, and today is still June, so we're on track for that. Mm -hmm. Um, Handful of health announcements. So if I get one of these wrong or mix them up, throw something at me, and I'll try to get it right. Mike has a surgery date for his kidney stone, which is the 14th because they're in a big hurry. (laughs) So... uh, what, um, in case we didn't cover that, um, what six-millimeter stone, which if you don't do your metric conversions, and I don't either, I have an app on my phone that tells me these things, um, that's a quarter inch. That's, that's not passing, like not in this planet. So they're going to go in on the 14th and bust it up and try to remove it, but they're in a nice big hurry till the 14th. So they're going to try to see if they can find somebody who might do it sooner than that and go from there. Uh, Jeff has a surgery date on the 6th for shoulder, right? They're going to try to make it where it stops hurting. It's only been hurting for, you know, ever. <laughs> it's one of those things. How long has it been hurting? As long as I can remember at this point. What I read one of those things online. It's, it's for, for those of you over 30, do you remember a point in life where you just got up and your body worked? And so they're like, no, me neither. (laughs) Me neither. Just think you get up and you don't have to stretch and move and things. You sound like a bowl of Rice Krispies after the milk has been poured. Uh, Yes, your staples are coming out Thursday. All right, so if you want to kick James in the shins and have maximum damage, you're running out of time. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's got to keep you in line here. Well, all right, though. I'm just helping. They gave me the microphone, so I'm helping. So... Um, and the other one, completely new to the list, uh, if you've seen in the prayer app in the last couple of weeks, uh, Lou's wife, Jesusa has been back and forth to the hospital a few times. They've decided she has had diverticulitis since 2017 and has been untreated. So, yeah, so they gave her some medicine that was supposed to take care of it or at least begin the treatment. It's not doing a thing. So they're back to the hospital this morning to get that looked at and hopefully come up with something else. Oh, okay. I oh, was so I didn't know you, were you were you nominated? Okay. All right. You're good. All right. That's okay. I thought you, maybe you had a question or something. I, I don't mind if there's a designated thrower. I'm, I'm good with that. <laughs> at least it wasn't something really heavy. I can live with that. So, Jesus is back at the ER this morning. Lou sent me a message. They're going to hopefully get some treatment that will work. She's basically had, you, you know, digestion and stomach issues for well, better part of three-plus years now trying to figure out what it is. So they're thinking this is it. Now it's just a matter of finding a treatment for it and going from there. Um, beyond that, uh, there, as far as I know, nothing new with, um, with Sue, uh, Sue Stivers. So that's kind of just going to continue on along until it doesn't, unfortunately. And the only God knows how long that will be, and we'll just have to trust in him in the meantime. Vi doing okay? Since you're, since you're here, I'll just go ahead and ask you. Okay. Okay. Not the same. So, yeah, because Vi had Vi has had the the zap to get your heart back in rhythm before, hasn't she? Yeah, I, I knew she had had that. Cameron's grandmother had that, but there's a limit to how many times they want to you know plug you in and you know jumpstart you, so to speak. So they've got a medication to hopefully keep her back in rhythm. To, okay. I, I know they've changed it. Cameron's grandmother used to be every couple of years, and they just kind of keep plugging you back up to the jumper cables and sending you along. So. so hopefully medication keeps the heart back in rhythm and she'll keep going along. So that's... all right. Am I forgetting anything? You're out of luck. All right. The outer coverings for the tabernacle were made of what? Duh. Everybody went home and read this, right? <laughs> Animal skins, ram skins dyed red. And then my favorite is, um, depending on how you, which, which Bible translation, uh, the NASB translates it as porpoise skins. I think the King James would translate it as sea cow, which, you know, it's, you, you get the idea, something from the water. Now, why? Why is that in there? This is one of those things that when you're Bible reading at home, I know you get to Leviticus and you're like, okay, don't do this, 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 don't do this. You get to Numbers and you're like, okay, there's people and there's people and you flip pages and there's people. And when you're at the end of Exodus, you're reading the tabernacle and you're going, okay, they built the courtyard and then they built the tent. And why is this stuff there? This matters. This is all pointing to something. There has to be a covering to shield the people. There has to actually be a tabernacle to enter into because there has to be a place that you can enter into relationship with God because you cannot have that in a fallen world. Remember what groans as, as in the pains of childbirth besides pregnant women? Creation. So we have a fallen world. We have a fallen humanity. We have sin abounding and evident. So what you have, even in the tabernacle, is God is not just saying, I will come down and you will be purified. We even have to purify the place, which means we have to set it apart. And when you set it apart, do you do it however you feel like it? No, does Aaron just get to grab some bottled water and be like, all right, this, this spot's clean, this is good for God. No, there's a system. There is something laid out specifically by God so that he may enter into communion with his people. Those details matter. They point to things. I've got to get used to people on both sides still. My, my natural inclination is to look left, sorry. So that's why I end up looking at Jan all the time. So I've got to remember, you guys are high! <laughs> so, read all of your Bible. It will do you good. Now, here's, here's the fun one. We should have saved this one for Halloween. Who died being eaten by dogs after being thrown out a window? That's in your Bible. Don't, don't shout it out loud. If you know your Old Testament, that's, this is a really famous story. And I'll I'll tell you this, she's never a compliment. And that just probably gave it away, so don't, don't. So, again, reason for the question. You can find this one. If you do Google, like, eaten by dog's Bible, I guarantee it'll be the first thing that pops up. It's not that gory. I promise you, it's not that gory. No, no, don't say it. I know you know it, don't say it. So, anything else we are forgetting? Going once, going twice. All right, I'm going to sit down and we can stand and sing.
0: I am weak, but Thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied. As I walk, let me walk close to Thee, just a closer walk with Thee, granted Jesus is my plea. daily walking close to Thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Let
1: I don't know if joking, teasing is the right word, that we were starting a new book. Did you look at your bulletins yet? <laughs> so that means, look, this is required by my brain and personality that every time it says new book, new book, it's time to start a new book. <laughs> it's required. My, my brain will not let me start one if we do not do this. Now, if you have not looked at your bulletin, you have no idea what we're doing, we are going into the book of Exodus unless you are from Eastern North Carolina, in which case you are beginning the book of Exodus. I don't know if they're scrambled or fried. You think I'm kidding. I'm not making that up. It is the book of Exodus. So there you go. Unfortunately, no. Exodus is never over easy. Never. No. couple of things. One, we can do this. We can handle this. This is going to be good for us. I say that as someone who has preached through the book of Genesis in a church. Now, maybe we shouldn't mention the fact that they fired me two weeks after we were done. But I learned something from that. Never finish the book. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We will do this. There is a lot of information. Now, warnings on this. There's a couple things we have to kind of cover as baselines, all kidding aside. The first is, We want to make sure that we actually handle the book rightly. And that means there are ditches on both sides. We cover this all the time when we talk about uh, church doctrine and theology, that there's always a ditch on either side. On one side, there is the temptation to dive whole hog into the history, the setting, all of those things, and you get lost in that world. That's great if we're teaching a history class or we're doing lectures for, you know, a college group or high schoolers. That's awesome. That's not so good for Christians trying to live out biblical truth. So that's one danger. We don't want to get so deep in that we can't see the forest for the trees. But on the other side, we don't want to go into the hyper Jesus hunt. And what I mean by that is we're not going to treat Jesus like bad Bigfoot videos, you know, it's like, you know what I'm talking about with the bad Bigfoot videos? No one, ever takes, no one ever takes Bigfoot footage like this. If you've ever seen a Bigfoot video, the person holding the phone is always like this. Look, there he is. Can't you see him? I don't know why people are doubting this footage. Look, he's right there in the middle of the screen. Oh, Bigfoot's real. Yeah, I don't care if Bigfoot's real. I just want somebody with a phone camera to take video of Bigfoot like this and not like he's standing in an earthquake zone. What I mean by that is when you see those videos, you're like, well, that's, there's Bigfoot. There's, by the time you're done, every acorn, every pine cone, every pine tree is Bigfoot. We don't want to do that to Jesus in the Old Testament where he's the, he's the ram skin over the covering of, the, of the, the tabernacle. You know, sometimes a linen sheet is just a linen sheet and there's not anything else to that. But we do want to make sure we understand the principles of godliness and the history that is going on within Israel that applies throughout time, across the ages, because those are the ideas that we want to take and apply to us directly, and we can do this. It will be good for us in another respect. Most of the time, when we read our Bibles, we fall into one of those two ditches, and we make mistakes when we do that. So hopefully, working through this, we'll begin to see the forest and the trees rightly, And it will be good, not just on a Sunday morning, but it'll be an encouragement that as you're reading your Bible, that you can actually make sense of some of this stuff as we work through it. So can we, there we go. I was about to ask, can we throw the the, the slide up there? there? Last thing is some weeks we're going to cover a bunch, some weeks we're not. We're going to take it in chunks simply because we want to try to cover an entire, I hate the word story because it has so many loaded implications in our world, but we're going to try to take each story as a unit. So some weeks, just a couple verses, some weeks, whole chapter, simply because there's just nowhere to break it. Now, Where are we in this chapter, Exodus chapter one? We are in the early 16th century BC. So that's just after 1600 BC into the high 1500s BC. Now, in case you're enterprising and ambitious and you go look this up later, No, that does not agree with what most modern secular scholarship would tell you. They would tell you that the work of Exodus occurs in the 13th century, which would be the 1200s. They're wrong. Sorry, I don't agree with them. They have too many issues that we're hopefully going to address as we work through this book. To try to address all of them right now, did you bring lunch? Mm -hmm. (laughs) You would hate me. I would hate me. We would all be miserable. So we're not going to try to deal with all of those right this second. We're going to deal with them as they come along. Now with that, this book is going to make large time jumps at at sections. We're going to cover a couple hundred years of biblical history. And we're going to start those time jumps really this morning. So again, we'll deal with where we were and where we've moved to as we go along. Okay. Now, that's your big picture. Little picture. Zoom in. Exodus 1, what, what's before Exodus 1 in Exodus? Yep. Exactly, making sure we cover that. Now, in your Bible, what's before Exodus 1? Now, Genesis. We have a context and a history. We're going to borrow a lot from that this morning to put all of these things into perspective so that we can lay a foundation to move through the rest of this book, which is going to take a while. I'm just going to go ahead and warn you. John was 67 Sundays to get through the entire Gospel of John. This will be less This will be less, but not by a lot. I think it's 65 or 66, so (laughs) there you go. Um, Israel has been preserved by the work of Joseph. Israel is now in Egypt in its totality. Everyone you know from the book of Genesis is gone. Bye-bye. And we'll cover that as we go through that. So that sets our stage. So I guess the next important thing we should do is let's read chapter one and then dive in. Now these are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. They came each one with his household, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All the persons who came from the loins of Jacob were 70 in number, but Joseph was already in Egypt. Joseph died, and all his brothers and all that generation. But the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, Behold, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply, and in the event of war they will also join themselves to those who hate us and fight against us and depart from the land." So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor. They built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously, and they made their lives bitter with hard labor and mortar and bricks and at all kinds of labor in the field and all their labors which they rigorously imposed on them. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shiphrah and the other was named Pua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birthstool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if is it is a daughter, then she, shall, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? The midwives said to Pharaoh, "Because the Hebrew women are not as the Egyptian women, for they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them." So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty, because the midwives feared God. I'm sorry, because the midwives feared God, he established households for them. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, "Every son who is born." Who is born? You are to well, if I could read, we'd be all set. Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, "Every son who is born, you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter, you are to keep alive." <sighs> there you go. Now, <laughs> let's cover this in chunks because, again, we're setting stage. So, these are the names of the sons of Israel who came with uh, came to Egypt with Jacob. This is important info. Verses one through five are almost verbatim taken out of Genesis 46. Uh, You can read 46, eight through 27. There's an extension of that which adds some of the descendants because if you're noticing, as you scroll through one through five, you'll notice there's only the sons listed but they're credited as being 70. We didn't list all 70 names here. Genesis 46 gives you all 70 names or at least the majority of them. Now, this is helpful because we have to remember we're dealing with history. This is one of the ditches we want to avoid. These are real people in real places, living real lives, doing real things with other real people. So we don't get to just pick and choose from their lives the parts that we like and teach on that. We have to deal with them as a total, which is why our first lesson is who's the star of the show in the Old Testament? God is. We have people that we elevate and we like to elevate. They are never the star of the show. They are always what we call secondary actors. God is the primary. He is the one who is causing the good things, preventing the bad things, and bringing about the right ends of his kingdom. The people are involved, but they are secondary. Abraham is not our hero. God is. Moses is not to be our hero. God is. This is a key because as you work through your Old Testament, we get caught up in the people, and we miss the fact that while they're working There is a God above all who is working and accomplishing his purposes. Now, why did they move to Egypt? In case you don't know, we'll read it again. Genesis 45. Joseph said to his brothers, "'Please come closer to me,' and they came closer. And he said, "'I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt.'" Now do not be grieved or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. The famine has been in the land these two years and there are still five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvesting. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all his household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Remember this later. This will be important. Hurry, go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me and do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen and you shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all that you have. And there I will also provide for you for there are still five years of famine to come and you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. So they have moved from the land of promise given to Abraham and his descendants. They have been taken by God through his work to Egypt where they will be cared for, where they will prosper and where they have now been dis... Well, what's, what's the word? You've been relocated basically. So verse six, Joseph died and all his brothers and all that generation. That <sighs> was just happy, wasn't it? Don't you love how we just 50 chapters of Genesis history and we're like, and they're all dead and we move on. All right. This is good, though, because we've got to remember that we're dealing with our story here in Exodus, but what else are we dealing with? We're dealing with the grand arc of biblical history, not just human history, but biblical teaching. Why are they all dead? Ah, Romans 14, each one of us will give an account to God to himself. Sin, they're all dead because sin has occurred. The wages of sin are death, death, All sin, therefore, all die. This is part of your big picture. What are we still waiting for in Exodus? You're waiting for that promise from the garden. There is to be a son born of the woman who will do what? He will crush the serpent and his offspring. What's the offspring of the serpent? Sin, destruction, death, lies, murder, all the bad stuff we hate. This is Jesus talking about John 8 and to the uh, Pharisees in John 8, 44. They lie, they cheat, they steal. Why? Because what does Satan do from the very beginning? He lies, he cheats, and he steals. He's the father of lies. He's the father of sin in that regard. So because all have engaged in this, all will die, all have fallen. We're still waiting on the Redeemer. This is important as you get to history in Exodus, because what's the assumption of the people when Moses is going to arise? There he is. No, he's not. We're going to cover that more in just a second. Verse seven, the sons of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and multiplied and became exceedingly mighty so that the land was filled with them. All right, put your Genesis caps on. Does that sound like anything you might've read in Genesis before? anything at all so they were fruitful and increased greatly so let's take out that increased greatly and what would they say what would that say they were fruitful and Multiplied. Where, Where have you heard this language before? Genesis 1, maybe? God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, "'Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it, rule over it of the fish of the sea, of the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth.'" When God destroys everything by flood, he starts again with Noah. What's the commission? God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Later on in chapter 9 of Genesis, he says, as for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Now, Has Israel done this? Now, that's a trick question. Has Israel done this? No. Who has done this for Israel? God has. Why? This again connects you back in biblical history. What's in Israel? Where did these people come from? So follow your Genesis history. Make sure I turn it back on. Adam and Eve fall, but they have children. They're still waiting for the the son to be born. Cain, we've got him. Here's the son to be born. Oops. (laughs) I mean, just oops. So what do we get? We get Seth. Then you follow that long list in Genesis 5 of all the children in Seth, culminating with who's at the end of that list in Genesis 5. Who knows that? The man whose name means rest. Noah. Noah's at the end of Genesis 5. Is Noah the guy? Does Noah... We flood the earth, we've started over with Noah, because Noah is a righteous man in whom there is no sin, Right? We get off the boat. We got problems, don't we? And sin multiplies so much to the point that we end up with the what's the next big biblical story after Noah? What's sandwiched in between Noah and Abraham? Babel, Tower of Babel, where humanity has gotten together. The the descendants of Noah have gotten together and said, what? We don't want to be scattered. We don't want to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. We don't want to do that. We want to build a tower so that our names will be great and we will reach up into the skies like the Most High. Oops. God scatters. We're sent out. So what does God do? He takes an idolater, according to Joshua, calls him from Ur of the Chaldeans and tells his family to move to a new land. They don't. They stop in Haran. There, Abram's father dies. What does God do? He starts over with Abram, moves him, and if you read through Genesis, we did this going back at the beginning of the year in our Sunday school class, how many times do you want to reach into your Bible, and if you've never read this, go home, read Genesis 12 through about 20, and tell me how many times you want to reach in your Bible and smack Abraham. You're just like, dude, like if God spoke to me from on high, I'd be like, yes, sir. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. You know how I know that? Because nobody who God spoke to from on high in the Bible was like, we got this. They were all like, I have questions.
0: What do you mean you have questions?
1: God is speaking. What do you mean you have questions? That's the entirety of human history. Read your apostles in the New Testament. They're walking with Jesus day in and day out. How many of these things that just like, I can't believe this is so amazing. We are so on this. No. good reminder Old Testament, we have what we call a lighting or a granting of the Holy Spirit. We do not have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit. You don't get that till Pentecost. What separates the empowered New Testament believer from everyone that's come before? The actual power of God at work in your life. These are examples of this. So the people don't want to do that. So God starts over with Abraham, promises him a land, a seed, a child, and a nation. So, what we are following are these descendants of Abraham because we have been told by Genesis that if we're going to see the promise of chapter 3 fulfilled, the son of the woman who will crush the serpent and his offspring, we're going to get it from Abraham and his people. Where are they now? Huzzah! What is God doing with them now? He is fulfilling the righteous commandments that they have forsaken. Catch that, because what do you see in the New Testament as we move along? Are you righteous because of you? No. You are righteous because Christ has fulfilled all righteousness. Why would we expect a Messiah to fulfill all righteousness? Humanity forsook its covenant relationship with God. Humanity disregarded the covenant command that God gave them in the very beginning. Who fulfilled it in them? God did. God is the one who upholds his covenant. God is the one who upholds his commands. God is the one who is at work orchestrating. This follows in promise from Genesis 15. He took Abraham outside and said, look toward the heavens, count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Fast forward to chapters, chapter 17. God promises, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and your descendants after you. I will give to you and your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. <laughs> This is our another little uh, New Testament aside, because if what I'm arguing is true, that God has chosen these people, he has plucked them out, he is preserving them, he is growing them, he is fulfilling his own commands and his own covenant with them, should life go well for them? Should, you would expect that, right? God's at work, he is fulfilling these things, he's putting them on the track, he's accomplishing these great things in them. All right, Exodus. Exodus means a mass departure, which means there's something that lots of people want to get away from. Why do we have an exodus for God's people? If everything was good, if they're being fruitful, they're multiplying, why do we have to move them away? Why do we have to drag them out? And this is where things are going to get a little bit dicey for our understanding. I've mentioned this once already. Well, I've alluded to this once already. We're going to mention it now. We have in the Old Testament what we call typology. Pictures in shadows, figures of what's to come. So, if you remember your high school English class, do you remember the idea of foreshadowing? Where the author is telling a story, and in chapter one, he throws in this weird detail that you paid no attention to because it was meaningless at the time. And then when you get to the end of the book, you're like, that stupid little detail that I paid no attention to is the whole reason the story has come together. That's called foreshadowing. You're hinting to the things that are coming. You get that in your Old Testament. Israel is a type. Is Israel the redeemer of humanity? No. They are the nation from which he will come, but they are also the adopted children of God, which means they are pictures of not just the work of Christians moving forward, but they are pictures of the work of Christ moving forward. They must prove Themselves as God's people. They must prove themselves as the obedient people of God, worthy of the covenant and the commands that will be fulfilled. Why? What's, what's true of all humanity? We fail. We fail. You give us the task, you send us the com- com- commandment and covenant from God, and we're like, I have 18 left thumbs. I have no way of accomplishing this. How do we know That Christ can accomplish? Probably something we don't think about regularly. We should. How do we know Christ can accomplish all righteousness? I'll ask it this way How do you know God will keep his promises? Because he always has. He always has. I can look back in the Old Testament, his work with humanity, and I can see that God says it at some point down the line, it will come to pass. How do I know Christ will uphold righteousness and keep it? Hebrews chapter five. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplications with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, don't get hung up on the English there. Was Christ perfect from day one? Yes. How do I know that? Because he proved it through his life. How do I know there wasn't something that somebody missed? What are the wages of sin? Death. What did Christ do on Sunday morning? No, he died on Friday. On Sunday, he he got up, which means, is he dead? No, death has no claim. This is 1 Corinthians 15. Death has no hold. There is no reason by which death for Christ was the final judgment because he was not worthy of death. The death that he died, he died for sins not his own, but for someone else. Hey, that's where we come in. That's that's our good news. He dies for our sins, not his. The proof of that is that he got up. He came out. This was being alluded to even with Israel. Israel is being brought down to Egypt so that they may be purified, so that they may demonstrate that God's people will be a pure people, redeemed, purchased from the world. Egypt in this time in, in, in human history is the world. They own it. They will be purchased and redeemed from that and sent out as God's people. (laughs) Somebody got excited back there. All right, verse eight. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. (sighs) Yeah. Oh well. Sorry, we we got children being tended to. You'll have to. You'll catch up in a second. (laughs) The mom face is going on there. Be glad you missed it. Because you would have all just died instantly. <laughs> A new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Now, if you, if you were following along with what we read out of Genesis earlier, you've got to be wondering, how in tarnation does this happen? How does this happen? Joseph was in charge of everything. Pharaoh was technically ahead of him on the scale, but what did Pharaoh def- default everything to? Joseph. How do we move forward a couple hundred years and now nobody knows who Joseph is? Let's understand our words rightly. And let's remember that we get a little foreshadowing in the book of Genesis, chapter 41. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I've had a dream. No one can interpret it. I have heard it is said about you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph then answered Pharaoh and said, it's not me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. This is important now. To say the Pharaoh does not know Joseph means what ultimately? He doesn't know God. See, that's something we got to remember as we walk through the book of Exodus. Now, how again does this happen? Fast forward to Genesis 43, when the brothers come down and they have a meal with Joseph. Did you notice a little throwaway in the story? Uh, Verse 32 of chapter 43. They served Joseph by himself and the brothers by themselves and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews for that is loathsome to the Egyptians. Even though Joseph is second in command, even though he's running this place, when it's time to sit down and eat, where are the Egyptians? There's someplace else. There's someplace else. All right, this is going to get me in trouble. Uh, okay, I'm getting in trouble. You ready? With everything going on in our world, you want to know what real racism looks like? There it is. We won't eat with you. Why? Because you were born over there. That's what actual hatred and animus looks like. Not most of this made up junk. I said most now, not most of the made up junk we've got to worry about in our world today, but actual hatred to the point that I won't even sit down and eat food with you at the same table. Now, if I'm willing to separate you from me at that level and you're in charge, what am I gonna do to the people who watch my flocks, who work my fields? Am I hanging out with them? Am I talking to them? No, now fast forward a generation. Are we talking? Are we looking at each other? Now fast forward two generations. Now three. Now four. See what happens here? How does Pharaoh not know Joseph and ultimately not know God? Because he doesn't know the people who are the testimony. This is why God doesn't bring Israel down to Egypt, let them stay for 20 minutes, and then take them out. We assimilate. We live this world. We want you to feel actual hatred, actual oppression, actual anger. Christian, This is why God hasn't just zapped you out of here, you know, Star Trek style. Oh, we got another one saved, beam them up. Because you are purified, just as Christ, just as Israel. You are purified here in this world. How do you know you stand firm for God? When trouble comes, what did you do? I stood firm. If when trouble came, I didn't stand firm then my heart is not in the right place because the Holy Spirit didn't empower me, the Holy Spirit didn't strengthen me, the Holy Spirit didn't gird me to accomplish that task. Which means, if He didn't do it when He promised He would do it, it's because He's not there. And I should worry. This is why we encounter trials and temptations in this world. So that we will know, so that we will be strengthened, so that we will grow in our knowledge and our faith, so that we will be a testimony and a witness to others. We've talked about this before. One of the main, one of the main ways Christianity grew in the Roman Empire was during persecution. Why? Why? Because it's an awful mighty testimony when we're bringing the dude in and we're gonna strap him up, you know, covered in barbecue sauce in front of the lions. And dude, you can walk out of here if you'll just, you know, offer your pinch of incense to Caesar. You can walk out of here if you'll just say, you know, Jesus is not Lord. You can leave. We'll wipe the barbecue sauce and everything off. And no, I'm good. I'm good. That was their answer. I'm fine. We talked about this when we get towards the end of the, uh, the persecution years in, in, um, in Christianity. This was such a revered status for standing firm and being mature in the faith that Ro- in certain provinces, Roman officials were turning Christians away. Roman Christians were coming with their Bibles going, I'm a Christian and it's against the law. Basically like, I, yeah, go ahead, kill me. I'm good. I'm fine with that. But they wanted to die for the faith. And the Romans were like, go away. I'm sick of killing you people. Leave me alone. I'm having lunch. <laughs> It was actually a thing. They actually had bishops and pastors telling people, stop doing that. If the Romans round you up, go willingly, but don't volunteer. <laughs> you would think you wouldn't have to tell people that, but that was literally what was going on in the, in the second and third century in some places was pastors telling people, stop volunteering to die, okay? We're, we, we need you here. It's it's Okay. So let's continue. Now that we have see we've seen the hatred, we see the problem. Verse 9, we'll, we're going to run through 11, ready? He said to his people, Behold, the, sons of, the, the people of the sons of Israel are more and mightier than we. as a lot of people. Come, let us deal wisely with them, or else they will multiply. And in the event of war, they will also join themselves to those who hate us, fight against us, and depart from the land. So they appointed taskmasters over them to afflict them with hard labor, and they built for Pharaoh storage cities, Pithom and Ramses. Two things. One, this is one of the reasons why we put the timeline where we put it. Historically, in Egyptian chronology, the timeline for Israel would be put in the 13th century because that is the time of the Hyksos people. And you're wondering, what are the Hyksos people? They are a group of foreign invaders. Nobody knows where they came from. Nobody knows where they went. They swept into Israel, uh, Israel. They swept into Egypt and basically took over the mightiest nation on the earth without a fight. And they ruled it for between 150 and 200 years. People like to put that as the ruling people of the Exodus. Because that would explain the lack of knowledge of Pharaoh and Joseph. That would also explain the animosity before between what was before that peaceful people i don't think it makes any sense because i think it makes a lot more sense to say the exodus preceded the hyksos people for one simple reason how would a group of people coming off the desert who nobody's ever heard of where they came from and nobody knows where they went after the, the egyptians pop got, up, got enough population up how would they come in and conquer egypt without a fight what would have to be true in egypt for, to conquer it without a fight what would you have to not have in Egypt? You'd have to not have an army. Where did the Egyptian army go? Exodus explains where the Egyptian army went, doesn't it? When they follow the Israelites across the Red Sea, where? What, where's the army go? They go in, what does God do? No more army in Egypt. Hyksos people come in, and it takes about a century or so to uh, demographically, demographically recover from the loss of the firstborn and the loss of your entire army. That would take years to repopulate and overcome a foreign invasion. Makes too much sense. That's why we put it where we put it. Now, that's one thing. Second, is this about Israel? Are we really concerned with keeping Israel down, making sure they don't go anywhere because we just got it so good? I mean, if you hate these people so much, what should you wanna do? get rid of them. Like, go away. We don't even want to eat with you, much less look at you. Just leave. The darkness never fights against the darkness. The darkness always fights against the light. Always. These are God's people set aside. There is a war within a war going on in the book of Exodus, and Exodus doesn't hide this. John chapter 3, this is the judgment The light has come into the world and men loved the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Do you ever wonder why every group in Colorado keeps suing the same baker? Like Jack Phillips has been in court four times in the last five, six years because he refuses to make certain cakes. Apparently there's no one else in the state of Colorado that can make cakes but Jack Phillips. There's no one else. Because they keep going to the same dude. Why? Because they want to get they want to get Jack. They just they want to get him. Why? Because he represents the light. He represents the light. If this were about rights and letting people do what they wanted, where are the lines of people in Dearborn, Michigan to make bakeries, make cakes? Do they exist? Do you know what the demographics of Dearborn, Michigan are? There's, there's a fun little, Jonathan knows. Yeah, Jonathan will be stuck there working. The, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the affectionate slang term for Dearborn in Michigan is Dearbornistan. Because it's a majority Muslim city. How come rights, uh, gay rights activists aren't asking Muslim bakers to bake cakes? Why does the ACLU sue churches and not mosques? Why, when governor's orders telling us to shut down come out, are they telling us that churches and houses of worship should be shut down? They never say mosques and houses of worship. So why houses of worship? Why is that? Darkness fights against darkness. I'm sorry, light. You're right. Thank you. See, you said light and I said darkness. It's like rabbit season, duck season, duck season, rabbit season. Wake up here. It never fights against itself. It wants to fight against the enemy. You get a picture of that here. Why do we want to crush the Israelites? Because God has set them apart. God has promised. God has worked. Why are we going to ignore them in war? Because we're not warring against the people. We're warring ultimately against God. We're fighting against God. And it just so happens to be this is who's on the line. So. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and the more they spread out so that they were in dread of the sons of Israel. The Egyptians compelled the sons of Israel to labor rigorously and they made their lives bitter with hard labor in mortar and bricks and at all kinds of labor in the field, all their labors, which they rigorously imposed on them. And yet Israel is doing what? Growing. Because who is blessing? God is. Now again, what's the problem here? Why does Pharaoh and the rest of Egypt not understand this? Well, to use another Southern phrase, bless his heart, he don't know no better. That's never a compliment. Basically, that's the nice, polite Southern way of calling you an idiot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Bless your heart, you don't know no better. Why doesn't he know any better? Because he doesn't know Joseph, and because he doesn't know Joseph, he doesn't know the things that Joseph knows. Things like Genesis 45, 7. God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant in the earth, to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Genesis chapter 50, one of my favorite Bible verses, by the way, 20 and 21. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present result, to preserve many people alive. Therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. So he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. Because he does not know Joseph, he does not know God. Therefore, he does not know kindness. He does not know mercy. He does not know love. He does not know grace. He does not know forgiveness. Again, look at the world around you. Why are we all seeking peace and justice and security and all of these things? And yet the more we demand them, the more we get less of it. Because apart from Christ... Apart from the work of God, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, there is no mechanism in eternity that will bring justice, righteousness, peace, security, love, mercy, grace, forgiveness. They can't be brought. They're fruits of the Spirit, which means in order to grow them, you have to seed seed them with God, not with man. Pharaoh doesn't know this. Egypt doesn't know this. Therefore, we are continuing on our plan to destroy Israel, and it's not working verse 15. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shifrath and the other was named Puah. If you're looking for names for granddaughters, there will not be any Shifraths in five years in kindergarten that you, people always say, I want a unique name. You're not going to beat that. So, okay. Cameron's cheating on me. She's like, I'm not even going to listen to this. I'm skipping to verse 16. <laughs> See, my wife's trying to help you. When you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. If it is a daughter, then she shall live. All right, a couple things. Plan A, out the window. Hard work hasn't struck them down, so we got to have plan B. What's plan B? Huh. Yeah, we'll just kill them directly. Now, are there only two midwives in all of Israel? I mean, by the time of Exodus, there's, there's likely a couple million people. Are there only two midwives running around birthing all the babies? Probably not. You've probably got supervisors here, you know, chain of command going on. Pharaoh's not bringing in, you know, some lady who just got finished birthing a child. He's bringing in her boss. So we, we're dealing with that. But why is this a problem? Let's see if we catch it. Why is this a problem? I'm sorry? They're, well, they're Hebrews, but... That's that's not the only reason we don't kill them. Rewind in your Bible, because I know your first thought might have been, well, there's laws against this sort of thing. Thou shalt not murder. But we haven't been given that one yet, have we? So let's go backwards and see the character this is based upon. Genesis chapter 9. Noah coming off the boat. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. For in the image of God he made man. This is why Christians historically are the pro-life people. Because people are made in the image of God. Therefore, they are worthwhile, they are valuable. But what if they can't do anything? They're made in the image of God. They're never gonna go grow up to get a job. They're never gonna be able to not live in mom and dad's house. They're made in the image of God. They're really ugly. They're made in the image of God. It doesn't matter who they are, where they are, who their family was, what continent they're born on, they are made in the image of God. Therefore, this is a problem. (laughs) This is a problem. What is it demonstrating now? Remember the war that's at work here. We have the darkness against the light. We have the sins of man against the goodness of God. Rewind again to Genesis chapter 8. This is again after the flood. God, Noah built an altar to the Lord and took of every clean animal and of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. The Lord smelled the aroma and the Lord said to himself, I will never again curse the ground on account of man. For the intent of man's heart is evil from his youth and I will never again destroy every living thing as he has done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter... Day and night shall not cease. This is one of those reminders. The flood was never designed to get rid of all of sin because in order to get rid of all of sin, what would have had to gone? All of people. But we left Noah and his three sons and his wife and his three daughters-in-law alive. Therefore, we left sin behind. Could we wash the earth with enough water to remove the stain of sin from it? No. That's why the creation still groans. Even though we purified it with the flood, we still have tornadoes, we still have earthquakes, we still have hurricanes, we still have pestilence. Yes, we do. I mean, we just just finished, or we're still finishing up some of that. So we don't get a respite from this because sin is real, and this is what it looks like in action. Verse 17, the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. All right, we got a problem. We're going to fast forward again to our modern world because we've got something we've got to deal with here, and that's Romans chapter 13. Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. Oh, that just got interesting, didn't it? If you read that in isolation, notice I said that intentionally. The midwives have sinned, haven't they? Their, their governing authority has told them to do something and they said, no. Therefore, they have resisted authority and only authority that is there comes from who? Comes from God. Therefore, they have resisted God and they have sinned. Let's make this personal. Uh, Cameron, did, did you get a count today? How many? Exactly? Oh, we were so close. We are not in violation of the law. We are allowed to have gatherings according to our benevolent dictator, I mean governor, of 50 and less. There's a problem with that. Guess how many we had three weeks ago? We had 52. The whole time we were supposed to have none, guess how many we had? 10 to 13. Now, does that mean we've sinned against God? No, and here's why. We don't read that command in isolation. We have responsibility before one another, before man, before government, and before who else? God. God. So let's read ahead in Romans 13. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise in the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. And if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing, for it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. Oh. See, that, that's, that's some exciting stuff. What's the purpose of government? To uphold righteousness. So when government tells you to do something that is unrighteous, like, I don't know, kill Hebrew children, you say, no, no. When government tells you, you can't go to church because I need to protect you from yourself, you are well within your rights to say no. no. And I've said this before, I'll say it again. My answer is always, barring some catastrophe that I cannot get here, I will be here. If you deemed it safe for you and your family to come to church on a Sunday morning and you show up at the door, I will let you in. We will make as much accommodation as you can. Look at our sanctuary seating. We will do everything within our power to accommodate you and keep you safe. But if you show up here, I'm not going to tell you I don't think it's safe for you to come to church. You showed up. You know who's in charge of you before God? You are. I'm not your mother. That would be weird. I don't look cute in a dress. <laughs> There's a mental image. You can all have nightmares too. There you go. There's no such thing as mace for your mind's eye. Yeah. <laughs> You're responsible for God, you uphold. That's why when some folks said, I don't feel safe, I said, I understand that, stay home. Some people said, I wanna come to church. I said, awesome, come on. That's why when I sent the letter out, I said, if you still didn't feel safe, stay home. If you felt like it was safe, come out. We will make as much provision as we can. We will do everything in our power to keep us safe according to what we think is right and good. If we're not doing a good job, tell us and tell us what we can do better and we'll do that to make sure everyone is comfortable and as safe as humanly possible. Well, that can't happen right now. That's not to keep you safe. That's just to keep you satisfied. And those are two different things. <laughs> now then, when government gives you an unjust command and you refuse, are you sinning or is government sinning? The government is sinning. Now, why do I say this? See, you're going, this is common sense because I have argued with Christians about this for the last three months. I had Christian pastors telling me, if you didn't close your doors and bar the entrances, you were sinning by not obeying your government. And and, and I told them where they could walk. Politely and gently, but I told them no. If that's how you read that, then you're wrong, and we'll just have to agree to disagree now, and when we get to heaven, God will show you how you're wrong, and then you'll apologize. I'm willing to wait. I'm willing to wait. We've got to remember... Our starting point for all things, Proverbs 9, verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Remember, when dealing with an unbelieving world, there is a war afoot. There is a battle against righteousness and justice. There is a shaking of fist at God and a demand that He be silenced. The primary way they attempt to do that in this world is not by silencing God, because how well is that going to work? Like, do you get to build a tower and climb up there and put your hand over his mouth? No. How do you try to silence God in this world? He silences people. He silences people. Because then we get rid of the proclamation of the word. This is what we've, we've talked about this on our uh, Wednesday night group. We've talked about this numerous times. Why is it that the world doesn't just want their sin to be Okay. It's not enough that I can do whatever I want because to be honest with you, most of the time with most people, I don't care. I don't don't care what cake you want. I don't care who you wanna get married to. I I don't care. But why is it it's never enough that I can marry whoever I want, it's also you need to not tell me it's bad. You ever notice that's always the next step? Romans one tells you that because they knew they rejected and therefore they give hearty approval to one another. See, the conscience of humanity is never clear. Because what do we know is true about ourselves? That there's a day of judgment coming. My death is coming. Why do you think we scrub death from humanity every day? Why do you think the last three months if you watch the news was such a big deal? Did you ever get the feeling watching the death counters on CNN or Fox News, whichever one you watch? Did you ever get the feeling like nobody had ever died before? It felt like that. Like We were reporting death counts daily by county. Like there are websites you can go to. How many people died in each county according to COVID? Like, we've never done this before it was almost as if no one like we'd never seen a dead body no one had ever died before there were stories well, there are these groups of doctors and paramedics traveling around New York and they're removing their dead bodies from their homes yes, New York has this service because there's 15 million people in the city and about 25 people a day die at home with no one around And when the neighbors figure it out, they call the uh, rescue squad and the rescue squad shows up and takes the body out. They've done this every day forever. Why is it a big deal now? Because suddenly we're all locked in our houses looking out the windows and we're watching what? And what am I reminded of in that moment? I'm not reminded that you're gonna die. I'm suddenly reminded of what? I'm gonna die. And you know who goes to great lengths every day to not think about that? 99% of humanity. So when they're confronted with their own mortality, something must be done. Because if I remember my mortality, what else do I remember? I remember that when I close these eyes, where will I be when they open? It's appointed unto a man once to die, and then face judgment. And so I'm reminded that if I'm going to die, then I'm going to stand. And if I'm going to stand, I'm going to be judged. And if I'm going to be judged, and on most of humanity, I'm going to be what? Guilty. Therefore, since God will not affirm me, and I am being reminded constantly of the coming judgment, who will affirm me? I want everybody else to affirm me. If God won't tell me I'm good, I want you to tell me I'm good. And if you won't tell me I'm good, well, I'm going to find somebody bigger than you, and they're going to make you tell me that I'm good. Welcome to the war at inaction in 21st century America. Is it the 21st century? Have I miscounted somewhere? I can't remember anymore. The change from 20th century to 21st century just messed me up and I could never remember which one it is. I I don't care enough. Yeah, I I should remember. I'm, I'm waiting for Duck Dodgers in the 24th and a half century myself. So, you know, we'll see. And if you have no idea what I just said, watch more cartoons. They're good for you. They rot your brain and make you funny. Verse 18. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, why have you done this thing and let the boys live? There it is right there. There's the thesis statement of the book of Exodus. There's the reason why this book exists in your Bible. Who does Pharaoh think is in charge of Egypt? He is. I'm in charge. I'm the king. And as Mel Brooks famously said, it's good to be the king. And if you haven't watched that one, oh, oh, hurts. Who's in charge of Egypt? Psalm 24. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell within it there's the reason why this book is here the midwife said to pharaoh because the hebrew this this is the greatest answer like you know a backhanded compliment you know what a backhanded compliment is it's when you insult someone but it sounds nice so they think it was a compliment this is the template for that this is the this is the template right here the the midwife said to pharaoh the hebrew women are not as the egyptian women they are vigorous and give birth before the midwife can get to them what's the implication of that like the Egyptian women are uh, the the Egyptian women are the, the the ones grabbing onto their husband. You did this to me,
0: ah!
1: and if you did that to your husband, shame on you, shame on you. So, Cameron did it jokingly. She actually, my wife's twisted sense of humor is aligning with mine. In the middle of labor, when one of the when one of the uh, labor pains had passed, she actually had this, she she started laughing. She goes, "You did this to me," and then she started laughing again. So I was okay. So, they are vigorous. They give birth before the midwife could get to them. So God was good to the midwives, and the people multiplied and became very mighty because the midwives feared God, and he established households for them. All right. The midwives obeyed God, so God blesses them. That makes sense. But I have a question. Did the midwives lie to Pharaoh? See, this is an important lesson for your Bible right now. And this is also something to be very important as we work through this book of Exodus. If you made me like gun to my head, you must pick one. I'd say, I think they did. But do you know what's not in the Bible? Whether or not they lied. It doesn't say that they did. What it does say is that God blessed them. I have a hard time with the idea of God blessing a lie. Now, did they just not pass the message along to the, to the underlings? Maybe. Did they tell the underlings, just take your time. Look, you've done the prenatal work. They, these women know what they're doing. They've been having kids left, right, and center around here. What's the issue? Did they train the husbands? Did they train the sisters? I mean, did, are, were there just so many midwives that there's not really a chain? I have no idea. But be careful being dogmatic about something upon which Scripture is not. This is a good example. Did they lie? They might have, but I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell me that. That's going to be important later on as we deal with some things in the book of Exodus. Verse 22. Now, how's plan B going? Plan B to wipe out the Israelites. Yeah, not so much. Actually, not to wipe them out, really, just to, just to kind of beat them down a little bit. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, saying, Every son who is born you are to cast into the Nile, and every daughter you are to keep alive. Ooh, that escalated quickly, didn't it? We weren't just telling the midwives. Maybe the midwives were supposed to make it look like an accident. I don't know. You know like, lots of children died in childbirth back then. Midwife would be in a good little position, you know, do a little little twist, a little snip here and there. Oh, I don't know what happened. But now we're telling this command to who? We commanded all his people. This isn't like through the midwives. This isn't through the doctor's office. This isn't sent out through social services. This isn't a command to the army. This is everybody. Hey, you see one of those little rats running around? Chuck it in the river ow, the depth of depravity of the human heart when left to his own devices. This is what it looks like. Now, this is a good warning because our first thought is, well, maybe it's not your first thought. I probably shouldn't assume that. Matter of fact, I'm not going to assume it. Some people's first thoughts, and the reason I say that is because I had this thought somewhere along the line, which means you might have had it first. Luckily, we as a society have progressed so much from that point, right? Right? Like, don't we just know as humanity that this is bad? Don't we just know as humanity it's bad to chuck kids into the river and kill them? I mean, we would never have a nation on earth that would enact a one child policy today, would we? Oh, no, no, not at all <laughs> yeah, did you? you, you absolutely not. Yeah, you, you liked that. Where'd your shoes come from again? <laughs> Where is everything at Walmart? Wait, well, yeah, where's everything at Walmart from? <laughs> That's not a suburb of Chicago, is it? No, China's not a suburb. No, that would never happen today. We would never have. Well, you know what? Let's change that. You know what? China has had centuries of Hindu and Buddhist and secular godless thinking. So they, they haven't had the Christian influence that Western civilization has had. So Western civilization would never decide that it's a good idea to kill our children in exchange for more money a chance to work longer hours. I mean, we would never kill tens of millions of our own children since, oh, like 1973 or so. We, we, we wouldn't do that, would we? No, not in the least. Sin corrupts everything and everyone regardless of where the light shines. Sin corrupts. And you've been warned, God is not shocked. Go back to Romans 1. I mentioned this earlier, I'll read it now. Just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. This is a list right here. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, <sighs> inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. That's my favorite in the list. Like, what does it look like when a people devolve away from God? What breaks down? Families break down. How do you know those children are godless? Have you seen the way they talk to their parents? That's part of this. And although they know the ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but they also give hearty approval to those who practice them. There's the war in action. What does it look like when it's lived out by people? There's the book of Exodus. What does it look like when we have to fight it out? (laughs) Go outside. Who picked Israel? Who picked Israel? God did. Who strengthened them? Who preserved them from, I mean, was Abraham having kids anytime soon? No. God did this. Who has preserved them in the face of labor and hardship and murderous threats? God has. Who are we going to war against day in and day out if you're Egypt? God and his people. How do they overcome? This is why this book has been stuck in your Bible and still matters to us today and why it's important that we work through it. Because the Israelites are living in a world that hates them. You're talking about legitimate just because of who you are. We will not eat with you. We will not sit with you. We will not let you speak. We will not talk to you. We just won't. Not only that, we're going to work you to death because we don't like how many of you there are, and we're not just going to go to war with you because you might fight back and you might outnumber us. So we're just going to systematically try to wipe you down. And then we're going to kill you if that doesn't work. Christian, welcome to your world. What does a society look like that has rejected God? It looks like broken families. It looks like broken homes. It looks like broken neighborhoods, broken cities, broken states in a broken nation. Have you watched the news lately? It looks like a people who do not know how to confront their own mortality. It looks like a people who do not know how to deal with crisis. It looks like people who do not know how to talk to one another, be transformed by the renewing of their mind, be renewed in their hearts and spirits to deal with disagreements in righteousness and justice. It looks like a people who do not know what justice looks like, but demands it at the end of a gun or at the end of a sword, or at the end of a fist that's bigger than you. That's what a secular world looks like. This is our world. I've often said, people, people used to tell me, I want to live, live in a biblical world. I want to live in a world that's run by God's principles. I'm like, you do. It's Judges 21, 25. There was no king in Israel in those days, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There's your world. Now, as his people what are we called to remember? Who runs this place? God. Who secures me? Who will see me to the end? God. What can they take from me? See, that's the trick. When I remember that, then I can move to the second question. What does my righteous living look like in the face of that godlessness? Those are the examples we see for good, and bad. I mentioned last week why we need our, our, our elders in church. You know, every, you know what an elder is in church, right? Everyone older than you. <laughs> why do we need that in church? Because we need wisdom and examples, both for good and for ill. See, this is this, Cameron, and I just had this conversation. I really got to stop doing this and like bringing stuff up that happens during my week. Number one trap we fall into as parents is, and I don't just mean us, I mean parents in general, and you've probably said this at some point. Well, you know, I did the same thing when I was their age, so I really can't say anything. Wait a minute, was it wrong when you did it? Well, yeah. Is it wrong when they did it? Yeah. Then do something about it. Don't let the lie corrupt you. If it was wrong when you did it, just because you got away with it doesn't make it good. Fix it. Deal with it, it matters. This is part of the wisdom of parenting. Why do I know what you're doing is wrong? Because I did it and it was wrong and this is what happens when you go down this road. Therefore, not all of your parenting is because you did it right. Most of your parenting is because you know the bad stuff that's coming down the pike because you already got hit by that frying pan. This is why if you have broken homes in the church, they can still be a blessing to the congregation. Because if anybody knows how things can go sour, it's people with what? How homes that have broken down, marriages that have fallen apart. This is why we don't condemn and cast you aside. One, we have grace and mercy, but two, we need that wisdom. Like, what went wrong? Tell me so that I don't go down that road. Help us. Walk with us. This is Exodus. You're going to see good godly examples And we're going to rejoice and we're going to see examples that we're going to be like, oh no, no, yep, yep, they did, they did, they did. All right, what went wrong? Let's dissect it and then let's apply it rightly so that we can do it right. Because again, who runs this place? God does. Therefore, he has ordered it and arranged it in such a way that if we follow after him, things should work, right? So we want to know how that works and what that should be. This is part of the example. Here's a bad example. Don't do this, right? Like, don't cast children into the river. That's like, that's a duh. But the positive side of that is respect life. Why? Because it's made in the image of God. Uphold righteousness. Why? Because it's the standard that he's given to us. This is how we apply the Old Testament. All right, you excited? Gonna be fun? All right, let's pray.